0: Europe is bracing for the second heat storm in a week with possible record-breaking temperatures over 48.8 degrees Celsius, if you can imagine such a thing. The highest ever daily temperatures globally were recorded earlier this month. I think that's the uh, highest ever average global temperature. Leading climate scientist Dr. Kevin Trenberth says temperatures don't increase steadily upwards but rise like a staircase with the biggest jumps near the end of an El Nino event. Kevin is a distinguished scholar at the National Centre for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado, and an affiliate at the University of Auckland. Dr. Kevin Tremberth joins me now. Hello. Yes, good afternoon. Are you surprised to see this coverage out of the Northern Hemisphere and some of the numbers and scenes we're seeing?
1: Yes, it's the the magnitude of of some of the... what we call anomalies, the departures from normal that are extremely unusual. You know, it's one thing to break a record, but usually it's by a very small amount. And records are being broken around the world by, you know, quite a large amount. You know, two or three tenths of a degree Celsius instead of a fraction of a tenth of a degree. And, And that's the thing which is most unusual. And also, uh, one of the extremely unusual things is the Antarctic sea ice is uh, simply not expanding and growing back uh, in the winter as it normally does, and it's by far the lowest ever at this time of year.
0: Mm. So what's the explanation?
1: <laughs> well, the main thing, of course, going on overall is global warming, and uh, over 90% of that heat ends up in the ocean. I say ends up because it can be recycled back and forwards and the oceans get involved with the weather systems and provide moisture for the weather systems. And uh, that's indeed one of the reasons why we've had so much torrential rain. You know, it's been amazing rains in South Korea recently and India. Uh, You know, these are monsoon-related rains. But, uh, and, you know, we've seen uh, our share here in New Zealand uh, earlier, especially in, in January and February, uh, you know, what I call rain bombs, really. And, uh, and so the rains around the world uh, and the resulting flooding have been also another symptom of global warming.
0: Hard not to think of that phrase tipping point when you see some of what's going on, right? We expected gradual increases that's not the surprising part but for it to suddenly be so extreme and and I'm referring to storms here in New Zealand but also some of what we're seeing in multiple places, multiple countries, multiple continents. Um, So is that the surprising part that it suddenly just jumped up or, um, or were there signs earlier in the year that this might be going to happen?
1: Well the last three years up until March of this year we have experienced what is called a La Niña in the tropical Pacific. These are temperatures uh, below normal, and they've been, you know, quite substantially below normal. And this has set a particular pattern. And that part of that pattern is to have quite high sea surface temperatures in the Tasman Sea and, and uh, New Zealand, and also in the Coral Sea. And so that has set the stage. But then the La Niña has faded, and we've, we're going into an El Niño. And there are already strong signs that that is going to be quite a, a, a major El Niño. At the moment, most of the action associated with that is still in the northern hemisphere, as it's apt to be at this time of year because it's summer and the sea temperatures are higher in the northern hemisphere at this time of year. Uh, and but it's you know it's developing, and that's one of the things which has made the global sea surface temperatures Mm. at record high levels, and they're running about two-tenths to three-tenths of a degree Celsius above the previous record, and that's just unheard of. Hmm. Uh,
0: I mentioned in my introduction to you that that you've said temperatures don't increase steadily upwards but rise like a staircase. What do you mean by that?
1: Yes, and so the, the main cause of... Global climate change is the buildup of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. The changes in the composition of the atmosphere. And so there is warming going on, or really we should refer to it as heating. And as I mentioned, a lot of that heat goes into the ocean. But during La Nina conditions, a lot of that heat actually gets buried. It gets carried down to depths below 200 meters, uh, 300 meters, 400 meters, and further down and it's then unavailable for the atmosphere. During El Niño, uh, a lot of the build up of heat that has occurred in the tropical western Pacific around Indonesia and north of Australia and so on all spills across the Pacific Ocean. A lot of that heat goes back into the atmosphere, so the heat comes out of the ocean, there's a mini global warming associated with that. And suddenly the temperature jumps by, you know, several tenths of a degree. And this takes place mainly or or most strongly during the latter parts of El Niño events. And it seems that when that happens, we never really go back to the previous levels. We certainly go into another La Niña, cooler conditions, where the heat tends to get buried a bit more again. But uh, it never really returns to the previous values. And so we sort of go up like a staircase, a rising staircase, rather than... Uh, little dibs and dabs every year. Mm.
0: Can you do your best to explain El Nino and La Nina for us? El Nino and La Nina for us. Most of us have had a bit of a lesson on it in our lifetimes, but it's quite hard to keep track of, and, and certainly in, in relation to climate change. Would you do that for us?
1: All right, I'll try. Yes, the uh, in the uh, overall scheme of things, there are generally westerly winds in the middle latitudes, and we have embedded cold fronts and warm fronts in that. In the tropics, there are generally easterlies. And so in the southern tropics, there are southeasterlies. We call them southeasterly trade winds. In the northern hemisphere, they are northeasterly trade winds. They come together in an area which... which is called the Intertropical Convergence Zone. And this time of year, it resides around 8 to 10 degrees north of the equator. So the southeast trades go along the equator. And so with all of these easterlies in the tropics, they scoop off the warm water from the top of the ocean and they pile it up over around Indonesia, and north of Australia. And the sea level actually gets about a meter higher in that region than average, shall we say, and and over a meter higher than in the eastern Pacific. And then when the trade winds relax, as happens in an El Nino event, uh, mainly partly by chance because there's some warming uh, somewhere out in the central Pacific, uh, then the trade winds relax, and then suddenly all of this water begins to spill across uh, the Pacific, and it uh, continues, and as it does so, The the winds, in in turn, weaken further. And so an El Nino event is where the atmosphere and the ocean are changing together. The winds weaken. The sea temperatures go up. The sea temperatures go up. That changes where all of the uh, convection and rainfall occurs in the tropics. And so it uh, feeds back and changes the sea temperatures, which is what determines the pattern of the winds in the tropics. And so this is El Nino and it tends to last for maybe a year. The most intense phase is about six months. It tends to peak around December, but the biggest effects on the atmosphere tend to occur around February. So this is you know coming coming up later this year, uh, and that's when the effects tend to be strongest. But then you know by the middle of 2024. Uh, all of the heat has come out of the ocean and 2024 ends up being a very warm year and uh, we we go back into La Niña conditions. One of the key things about this is in, in the tropics, the weather is never, never average. It's always going back and forth it's like a roller coaster between El Niño and La Niña.
0: You testified recently in a climate trial in Montana and I think... The, the, the issue up for debate there might be an interesting one for New Zealanders. What was it all about?
1: So this is where Montana actually had part of, as part of their constitution, uh, uh, a claim that uh, that they would have a uh, climate that was uh, benign for uh, all of the people. And, clearly climate change is occurring and in Montana there's uh, a lot of drought and wildfires and they certainly suffered from all of the Canadian wildfires and the smoke and so on. And that's been increasingly a problem there. So dry conditions, because they're in the, you know, somewhat in the middle of the country Mm -hmm. and not that close to the oceans. And so water is a key issue in Montana. And so uh, the youth of Montana, uh, mainly through our Children's Trust, organized and filed a lawsuit saying that uh, their future and even their current conditions were being adversely affected by climate change. And it relates to the uh, industry, which is very strong in Montana, relating to coal. And not only do they burn coal for uh, electricity and you know coal-fired power stations and so on, but they also export quite a lot of coal out of Montana to other states and so there was a lot of testimony relating to all of these kinds of factors and all of the children got up and uh, I must say our children just put on a very good very good performance in terms of making a case uh, and now it's with the judge and we'll see what the judge actually rules.
0: But the idea is presumably from your perspective every state and territory has a role to play in climate change um, and that their size is not necessarily relevant to their obligations?
1: Well, you know, we all contribute. So this relates to emissions. It it relates to especially burning of fossil fuels that puts carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and carbon dioxide has a long lifetime. Uh, and so we're all contributing Uh, and uh, we contribute in ways that you may not have even thought of. Uh, uh, Australia produces a lot of coal. A lot of that coal is exported to China. China uses it to generate electricity, and they make a lot of goods. They ship those goods to the U.S. and to Australia and to New Zealand. We import those goods. So in effect, by uh, importing those goods, we're actually burning coal from Mm -hmm. Australia in a way. But you know, no one takes account of that kind of thing. And Very interesting. You know, how do you how do you uh, how do you deal with international trade is a outstanding issue that has not been adequately addressed. But, really you know, the biggest danger yeah. at the moment is China.
0: Um we could talk all afternoon. Really appreciate your time though, Kevin, and your work in this area. Thank you.
1: You're most welcome.
0: Dr. Kevin Trenberth on some of these big temperatures we're seeing overseas.